Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio. Welcome back to another episode of A Few Screws Loose, the podcast where we have discussions about mental illness by the mentally ill. My name is Dan. You can find me on all social media at I am Dan on drugs. And when I say all social media, I just mean Twitter and IG. And I am P from Charlotte. You have to excuse my voice. I'm battling a little bit of congestion, but you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Screws Loose Pod. So last episode, in episode four, Wrestling with Mania, we discussed um, manic episodes and P helped differentiate mania and hypomania and how the two relate to bipolar one and bipolar two. We uh, shared some pretty funny stories about... Um, my boy crying in the car and me turning the music way up so I couldn't hear his tears. Uh, what else? Sleep paralysis. I do believe we uh briefly went over sleep paralysis as well. So if you haven't checked that episode out, check it out. It's episode four, Wrestling with Mania. And later in the episode, we're going to have a guest come on. And it's a guest that a lot of you may know. To speak on some of the things that members of the LGBT face um, as far as mental illness, depression, suicide, substance abuse, um, things of that nature. And his his own experience coming out to his uh, parents. So be sure to stick around for that. Uh, P. Yes, sir. Now, we grew up in a time where in a time and in an area where um, it wasn't. A friendly time or area for homosexual, bisexual, um, trans, transgender people. Yeah, Dan, you know, we uh, we were born in the 80s, children of the 80s, came of age in the 90s. And, um, you know, it was it was a different era then. It's just funny that D.C. is uh, so friendly now to LGBTQ communities. But at the same time, underneath the surface, it's also one of the the worst cities in the country for uh, hate crimes and violence against those, those same uh, members of that community. So, you know, it's almost like the more things change, the more they stay the same. And uh, DC is, is a a glaring reflection of, of of that uh, statement right there. When we grew up, we, we are children of a different era. Um, The eras are changing 
quickly now as opposed to when we were younger. Um, you know, our our era in the 80s and 90s wasn't especially inclusive, whether it be uh, to minorities, to mixed race relationships, of which me and uh, Dan are products of, um, of, um, you know, alternative lifestyles of, of LGBTQ. So it wasn't very inclusive. Um, a lot of the things that we would say and do, even though we were children and younger, we were ignorant and didn't assume, I mean, we, we didn't feel as though we were doing anything wrong. Um, I'm not going to repeat the words here because I think everyone knows what the slurs are, but they would just be in regular conversation. You know, if someone wasn't doing something or didn't seem tough, you'd make a, 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 a gay slur towards them. Not necessarily meaning that you felt that way about gay people. It was just a part of conversation. Um, as you grow up, you realize that that stuff wasn't correct. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I, I'll speak from my experience. It wasn't necessarily any influence from my family or anything that had me us talking like that. It was just society. You go out and no different than when you're a child and you go to school and kids are saying, oh, fuck, shit, nigga this, nigga that. You know, you may turn around and do the same thing. So that was sort of just kind of the status quo, how things were at that time. And one thing that we learn now is looking back in history, especially when it comes to things like races, just because something was acceptable in one era doesn't mean it's acceptable now because ultimately you're dealing with human beings and to belittle someone uh, and, and reduce them to just a slur or the butt of a joke is is wholly unacceptable. I see a lot of adults now who don't share that same attitude as us and it's crazy because a lot of these adults that don't share this attitude are our age and older. Yeah. So, um, you know, do you see a lot of adults that think it's okay to still uh, slur or, or ridicule or be hostile towards uh, any members of the LGBT community? Absolutely, man. Um, one of the people that I'm going to bring up is a rapper, and it's he's a well-known rapper. Everyone knows him. Eminem, right? He made his bread and butter in the early 2000s to mid-2000s, dropping all kinds of gay slurs, this and that. And then he would hide behind free speech. And, you know, people were eating that shit up. Like, man, it's free speech. Eminem can say what he wants. Even though he's offending an entire community of people. And then when the, that community of people tells him, yo, Eminem, you're, you're offensive. You're offending us. He tells that community to kiss his ass. And that's basically what he did. So, it's funny to see the ties turn because on his most recent album, um, Kamikaze, which was, eh, I don't think Eminem's had a good album. I mean, I know we don't really talk music, but the dude hasn't had a good album since 2003. Um, he, he went as far as to call Tyler, the creator, another artist who is, um, I, I believe Tyler is gay. He went out of his way to call him again, gay slur. The F F F word. Um, and then bleeps it in the song. Like, what the fuck, man? Like, why would you even use the word? It's 2018. It's not 2003 anymore. You're still trying to get a rise out of people. You're still trying to be offensive. You're a 42 year old man. So it's like, yeah, man, th there are adults that are older than us still using these insensitive, um, gay slurs basically. And, um, then again, they hide behind free speech and say, oh, I'm not homophobic. 
I'm just expressing myself. Man, fuck off. If someone's telling you this offends, it's not like one person telling you, like Johnny down the street saying, hey, you calling me John offends me. But if you have damn near everyone named Johnny and all of them are telling you, hey, calling me John offends me. Stop fucking calling people John. I know that's like a weird you parallel. <laughs> well, but the thing is, and, and that free speech bullshit argument kills me because people seem to think free speech means I can say what I want and you don't have the right to criticize me for it. No, you you're exercising your right to free speech by not going to jail <laughs> for what you're saying. And if you come back and say some junk excuse like, uh, oh, I'm not homophobic, but I'm have free speech. I say what I want. Um, this is not just some random statement that he's making that can, you know, that most people won't know is offensive. This isn't, you know, there are lots of little things people say out there that we turn around to now and say, oh, that offends me, even if it's not very clear. This is a slur for a group of people that has been a slur for a very, very long time. And it's a, it's, it's one of those few words that you don't, you typically just don't say. So for him to say that and then act like, People are just tripping for being outraged. Well, my thing is, what the hell did he say it for? If you want to make people, you know, the word provokes a response and to get that response and then getting your feelings about it as if someone else is being petty or, or oh, this over political correctness. No, I'm sorry. This does not qualify as that. And it's right. just it's just a bad look. You know, it, you're a grown up. It, it's not it's not acceptable for children. And I don't think the teenagers now are, you know, as divisive as we were growing up i mean that was just society yeah um, but for adults 30 40 45 years old to still be talking like that you know have you grown any in the last 25 years man and and that's something too that i'm i'm gonna bring up with our guest is just the use of the word overall his his thoughts on it so yeah, let's let's get to some of the more serious things. So there's a um, increased risk of suicide attempts among especially minority LGBT um, people. Right. Yeah. You know, there is an increase in uh, mental illness, suicide and self-harm amongst uh, minorities uh, of the LGBTQ community, especially black and Latino, um, because, you know, the <laughs> one thing about. Blacks, Latinos, et cetera, is that even though in the political spectrum they may vote Democratic, personally, um, minorities tend to tend to be conservatives in terms of their uh, uh, social views. And that comes from a, a heavy church, a heavy religion aspect. So, you know, being open to alternative lifestyles, whether it be uh, different ways you dress, different clothing. Um, you know, they tend to view homosexuality in that same light, which is just not correct because, you know, clothing is <laughs> and lifestyles. Those are things you choose to do. You you want to wear, you know, strange clothing. OK, but a lot of time these communities also view sexuality as something else that, oh, they're choosing to do this. Yeah. And they shun you for it. They'll say, oh, you must have the devil in you. Things like that. And that's where you get that pray it away conversion therapy crap. Um, and that also that type of, uh, you know, treatment and being ostracized drives a lot of black and Latino uh, members of the LGBTQ community to, you know, depression, mental, all kinds of mental illness, even suicide, because it's not a very friendly, you know, uh, community amongst minorities 
when it comes to members of the LGBTQ community. So um, if anyone right. ever <laughs> wonders why, you know, that is a great place to start at is look at the culture of, of minorities. And um, this information is coming from the NIH, the National Institute of Health. So, you know, this has been a widely studied phenomenon. So I definitely recommend you guys check check those articles out. Yeah. It's a direct correlation between that treatment and um, the suicide rates. Nah, nah, nah. We just going to pray for you. And like you said, they're always trying to pray. I mean, you pray to God and he's not going to sit here and snap his fingers and ungay you. <laughs> you know, and, and the thing is, a lot of this, you know, adversity faced by members of that community is from their own family, from their own so-called, you know, church family. Mm-hmm. It keeps, it ends up actually pushing a lot of people out of the church, out of their families, onto the streets, in dangerous situations, all alone, uh, you know, and that's a sad situation to be in. You don't look to your family or your church for for mistreatment. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, you know, it, but sadly, that's what many face. And that's why you, you see all of this increase in suicide, depression, uh, drug abuse uh, and law breaking. And I'm not saying all break, law, you know, gay people break laws. I'm not saying that. I'm just speaking in terms of what when you are push to the fringes what type of effect that can have on your life and when you have no support when you have no support i mean what are you going to do man they're they're sending over rapists and murderers <laughs> man <laughs> um so check this out what 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 i'm gonna do is i'm gonna kind of steer the conversation a little bit um into what we're more familiar with and you know again like i said we have a guest coming on to discuss more of the LGBTQ um, aspect. But what we do know, what P and I both know are the symptoms of mental illness, right? So we, we know, well, P especially knows the symptoms of PTSD. So if you are or have been a child and getting bullied in school, especially where we come from, that happened a lot. And I, I do tell the story about, Day Day. Day Day was the one that people kept trying until they realized just because Day Day liked boys did not mean Day Day wasn't a boy. And Day Day used to fuck niggas up. But um, not not everyone had a pair of hands like Day Day had. So if you're getting constantly picked on throughout grade school, throughout middle school, throughout high school, even into adulthood, that can 100 percent leave you with PTSD and P is familiar with the symptoms of PTSD. Now they might be for different reasons, but uh, can you share what some of the, I guess the more notable symptoms of PTSD are? You know, a lot of things can cause PTSD and not just war or, 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 you know, fire department, you know, trauma causes PTSD. And like Dan was saying, if you've been a victim of trauma, bullying and assaults your whole life, because of your sexuality, uh, you know, everywhere you go, whether it be at home, whether it be in the street, whether it be at the store, at school, at work, at church, um, you know, those things can all trigger responses from you. And, you know, a, a, a major symptoms of PTSD are panic attacks, hypervigilance. You, you know, you get rigid when you go places. Uh, you're afraid. You have phobias of going to certain environments because they remind you of a trauma. Uh, nightmares, flashbacks, you can't sleep. So um, I would assume, you know, if you are, uh, you know, uh, a member of the LGBTQ community and you are assaulted 
Um, you know, we, we seem to see stories of these happen in D.C. all the time. You know, just say you're walking to the grocery store and you get assaulted on, on, on your way. Then you may decide, I don't want to walk to the store anymore. And you may be afraid to go outside. Right. And that's PTSD. Yeah. And if everywhere you go or multiple times in your life you have faced abuse, I mean, it, 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 I can only imagine that it must be terrible because you pretty much are all alone anyway, a lot for, for a lot of people. And then now you also have this fear to deal with. Yeah. Man, I saw um, there's this TV series is on Hulu. And of course, it's, it's a TV series. But at the same time, they had this um, this dude. He was a gay, uh, gay dude, just moved to the city. He had been assaulted for being gay and he was brutally assaulted, hospitalized and what have you. So when he finally got released from the hospital, he went home. He went into his apartment. Right. And so that was like a flashback. And then years later, he still had a cop that would come by and check on him, talk to him and whatever. So the cop comes by and is like, so, uh, buddy, when's the last time you left the house? Dude said 16 months ago. He's like, so you haven't been outside at all? Well, I tried to make it to the mailbox once, but um, yeah, I just started having a panic attack and I just hurried up and came back to my comfort zone, which was my apartment. And he was uh, the one thing he did say is I thought about it when I first got home out of the hospital. I thought about going outside. I thought about walking to the store and I should have. Because I don't think I would be in the place or in the position I'm in now, not having left the house for 16 months because I'm terrified now. And now I have physical symptoms, whereas on day one or day two, had I gone out, I don't think I don't think these symptoms would at least be as bad as they are. So sometimes secluding yourself. And we're going to go into depression and suicide. I mean, that's a common theme here on the show. Secluding yourself sometimes feeds your your mental illness, whatever, whatever your illness may be. So by staying cooped up in the house, thinking you're safe, this is my safe place that day after day after day after day after day. I mean, you're starting to look at agoraphobia. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what the clinical definition of agoraphobia is, but. I'm pretty sure it means your ass ain't going outside and it, it just it continues to to feed it. I mean, P, what, what are your thoughts? You know, your, your body and your brain adapts to routine. And if you let a certain routine, especially a routine that's driven by fear of a, you know, a traumatic experience, if you allow that to take hold for so long, I can only imagine that trying to change that behavior gets harder and harder and harder the longer you allow it to exist. Um, I'm speaking from my own experience when it comes to certain things that I had to deal with over the years. And, you know, sometimes you have to break that cycle. But the problem is the longer you go, the harder that cycle is to break. And it's not always just as easy as, oh, suck it up. You know, if you have a physical response from from these traumas and these fears that you have, if you have a physical response from this stress and anxiety, it's not just as simple as just saying, forget about it or deal with it or toughen up. You know, th that's something else that we, we talked about out outdated attitudes. That is another mm -hmm. outdated attitude that we still, uh, some of us hold on to about this whole suck it up mess. It's not always that easy. And shaming someone 
for feeling afraid, shaming someone for having uh, mental mental issues in response to a tragedy or a trauma, that is definitely not going to help that person move on. You know, that's that's probably the worst thing you can do is try to force that person and shame them into oh suck it up. You know, it's people that got it worse than you, and you're only uh, you're only hurting that person in the long run. There are so many outdated uh things and yeah that that's definitely one of them it's almost like walk it I off mean, look i'll give you i'll give you an i'll give you an example okay you know outdated things right i got ptsd i also have a cd player in my pathfinder and i don't have bluetooth so i have to go through a leather cd book and rub the cds on my pants leg to get the scratches out and every time i do that i say god damn there has to be a better way this shit is outdated <laughs> Man, you remember that time you was looking for, dude, you literally would not buy, I think, like three or four cars because they didn't have a tape deck and a CD player. Hey, my Audi had a a tape deck and a CD player. My Infinity had a tape deck and CD player. Uh, I put uh, a a tape deck and CD player and a Bluetooth in my Xterra. And um, I had a tape deck and CD player put in my 86 Monte Carlo. You hold on to old technology, Joe. I remember when uh Windows uh Windows Vista came out, then Windows Seven came out, then Windows Ten came out. Now you were still using Windows XP, and you was mad when you had to upgrade to Windows Seven. Man, fuck this! I run everything in XP mode. <laughs> hey, look, people that's not from DC don't understand. I didn't just use cassettes because I like rewinding tapes. Cassette tapes are ninety minutes. CDs were sixty. Gogo tapes came on 90 minute cassettes. So typically to get a Gogo CD, you end up having to lose 30 minutes of one of your shows. So that's why I hung on to my tapes a lot longer, uh, you know, then because listening to Gogo music in the DC area, they don't, it doesn't, it didn't translate well to CDs at, in those days. <laughs> Man, this Bama made his car buying choices based off the type of music he listens to. <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, when you drive to New Orleans every two months from DC, you got you better have some good music. Man, in I there. used to hate that shit when you come down here with all that go go shit, man. <laughs> I, that shit would give me a man. You used to listen to it just as much as I did. As a, you just been gone since two thousand. You listen to go go every bit as much as me. Yeah, as a teenager, man. But as an adult, after I stopped listening to that shit, that shit gives me you a moved headache. When you was an adult, yeah. So all of these adults in the D.C. area that still listen to Go-Go, which is the vast majority of them, are just immature. Man, you moved when you were an adult. If you never moved from D.C., you'd still be listening to Go-Go, too. I doubt it, man. I, I hate that shit. I guarantee I you I hate would. that shit, man. Like, fuck Go-Go, man. That shit sound like noise now. I mean, I can appreciate the, the, the skill and the percussion and shit, but, man, I can't listen to that shit. I hate it. You've been gone too long. When you've been gone 18 years... That's that's what you say when you've been gone for 18 years, man. So in another 13 years, do you think you're going to hate Gogo? No, because I still go back to D.C. <laughs> going back to the mental illness side, we're going to uh, start to wrap this up here so we can get our guest in um, anxiety. Right. I talk often about anxiety as does P. He talks about anxiety a lot. So he P described the some of the notable symptoms of PTSD. What I'll describe is some of the more notable um, symptoms of anxiety disorder, right? Or uh, I, I think the term is generalized anxiety disorder. It's now it's a lot like P was saying with the PTSD as far as um, 
panic attacks. That that's a key symptom. Um, avoidance, uh, dread, and and I mean, actually, I think a lot of the symptoms are pretty much the same. But one that I'll throw in there is routine. And like we just talked about with not leaving the house and, you know, your brain adjusting to your your current wherever you are currently is routine, man. People start to build these routines that make them feel safe. And in a previous episode, P talked about how he had to go to 7-Eleven to get the blue monster if. They didn't have the blue monster at that 7-Eleven. The rest of his day was fucked. And I mean, me, same thing with Rite Aid. I needed to go to Rite Aid. Now there ain't no more Rite Aids. But you start to develop these little mechanisms that they're almost like safety nets. They, they make you feel safe because it's routine. And once that routine is interrupted or disrupted, it's like being tortured, I guess. That's that's the best way I can describe it. It, it starts to break down that that safety net that you've built around yourself. Um, would you, is that fair to say, P? Yeah, routine goes hand in hand with control. And especially when you have anxiety, one of the major triggers of having anxiety is the lack of control or the lack of a feeling that you have control. If you have a routine, this is, a, you know, from my experience, keeping a routine keep and regimented keeps you somewhat free of surprises. Now, even in in the job, the fire department, that job is routine based as well. Um, But ultimately, though, also in that job, much like life, routine can go away in the blink of an eye. And that can be a major trigger of some serious, serious consequences. Um, So, you know, while routine may be comforting in the short term, you know, when when things go awry and you're not prepared for it, they can make you fall apart. And, um, you know, that's when you start to get those problems of people losing control and maybe taking drastic steps or abusing drugs or alcohol, especially if you don't have anyone to reach out to. Yeah. And that's that's another thing, too. That That's something I guess we'll we'll talk about in a future episode is um is the whole agoraphobia aspect of it. I mean, I think I'm going to have to do some more research, but I do have multiple family members who are agoraphobic and I'm talking about having left the house in years. My grandmother being one of them, she I don't think she's left the house since 1993 and it's 2018. I mean, shit, P, you know, my grandmother, when have you ever known her to leave the house? Like hey, man, I had family members like that, too, in Philly, my Great aunt and uncle wouldn't leave the house either. Yeah. Okay. So I guess, you know, for now, we'll, we'll kind of wrap this up and, you know, we'll talk about some more of those things in future episodes. But in order to kind of focus on mental health in the LGBTQ community, we're going to bring on our guest now and have a conversation with him. And we will see you guys back after that. What's up? It's your boy, CEO Hayes, host of The Awakened Soul Podcast, a weekly podcast for an insightful and vivifying look at music, movies, TV, pop culture, but more importantly, how it all relates to us culturally and globally. The Awakened Soul can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeartRadio, basically Anywhere the podcast can be heard, you can find The Awakened. So we also air in syndication on the radio in several states. I'll be looking out for you guys. The Awakened Soul Podcast, hosted by the one and only CEO Hayes. Peace.
And ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by none other than, if you don't know this brother, you're doing something wrong, Mr. Jaden Hollywood. What's going on? I'm just excited to have you on the show to talk about something that I actually think is important. And believe it or not, we did do, Paul and I both did do some research prior to this show. And there's a lot of shit out here that we were not aware of. Mm-hmm. A, a lot. But um, before we get into that, where can the people find you? You can find me on all social media at the great Jaden. I am the host of the Unapologetic Podcast. That's Unapologetic with a K. And you can follow my podcast at Unapologetic Pod. And I'm going to need you to update that uh, Unapologetic Podcast. I know you've been studying for um, for your CPA, but uh, I'm going to need some more content from you, bro. I know. <laughs> I know. Listen, between working uh, anywhere from 45 to 60 hours a week and then um, also committing 15 hours a week usually to studying and, you know, trying to keep my mental health in order because you have to find a balance. It's very difficult to, you know, juggle outside things. Even even my outside businesses have, I missed out on money opportunities because right now I'm just so focused on getting the bag right now. <laughs> I mean, I hear but you. But bear with me. Listen, you get two episodes a month for now. That's all I can say. <laughs> Look, I, I feel you. That's actually what we're doing over here too. Two a month just for the same reasons. I mean, time, man, time. But um, so I guess let's just uh jump right into it uh off the top. Um, can you tell us and people who may be unaware what types of mental health issues are prominent in the LGBTQ community? And I let me ask you something, too. First, mm-hmm. is it offensive? Because I'm honestly ignorant. So is it offensive to leave off the QIA? It's not to me. I don't know. Um, I don't personally know anybody that it offends. I'm pretty sure it offends somebody out there, but um, or I don't think it maybe offends people, but I think that some people might feel not included. But overall, I, I think we all know what we mean when we say LGBT. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> self go all the way down. You, you still a part of the community. At the end of the day, we still accept you. But <laughs> Yeah, there are um, other letters that this it just goes on and on. Absolutely. So, uh, what what are some of the prominent uh, mental health issues that that you see or that you know about? Well, I know that. Well, before we talk about what mental health issues are in the community, I think it's important to talk about the causes mm-hmm. of mental health issues in the LGBT community, and um, a lot of the of the causes of these issues all ties back to trauma. A lot of people, a lot of people in the community, they suffer trauma during early development um, in childhood as well as early adulthood. And that, you know, I don't know if people know this, but when you go through trauma, it actually negatively affects your brain development. So yeah, it's, it it usually starts in i would say elementary school for a lot of people and there's been a lot of studies that have talked about it but 
I was on a website earlier called Mental Health America, and it was talking about how a lot of people in the LGBT community not only um, do they do they encounter the the trauma and disparities in schools, but oftentimes they're they're denied just human rights, whether that be health related, civil rights, human rights. Um, we're talking about discrimination in the job fields, talking about discrimination even in when it comes to financing sometimes, housing sometimes, medical care, especially in the in the transgender community, they have many more issues as far as mental getting the mental not the mental, sorry, the um the health care that they that they need, the medical care. So right. And I can see how that's that could be like I'm I've I've read the same website, the Mental Health of America, and mm-hmm. I did see one of the stats is that uh more than one in five LGBT individuals reported withholding information about their sexual practices from their doctor or healthcare providers. And I'm I'm assuming that's because there's a um what's the word I'm looking for? The the stigma that comes with it maybe? Yeah, there is a negative stigma that comes with it. Um I've I've heard times where people as soon as you tell the doctor that you're gay, they want to test you for HIV. <laughs> like, damn, um, you know, what if that person's still a virgin? You didn't really do the investigation that you need. You just assume that because this person is gay that they have HIV. While yes, HIV does ram- run rampant in our community, that I just think that some doctors are just just very ignorant to stuff like that. And it's important for programs. There's a there's programs in different cities for people in the LGBT community to access healthcare and access healthcare with providers that are sensitive to our community. Uh, I know here in Atlanta, you know, transitioning from Maryland here, finding the doctor, I, you know, was Google searching and I I had difficulty, but I did find an organization that does free testing. And not only do they do that, but they have a program where they match you with the doctor and they have, um, it's called, uh, it used to be called the Mr. Center, but now it's called Positive Impact. And what they do is not only do they match with the medical provider, but they also will email you after your appointments just to make sure that this doctor that they're promoting for people to go to is falling in line with the values of their company and is not treating you in a way that makes you feel discriminated against. Yo, that's actually pretty dope um, when you when you think about it, because it's always good to go to where somebody understands you. And I can speak to that from being just a person of color in general. Mm -hmm. We notice that there's a lot of doctors that are ignorant to um, some of some of the things we go through. For instance, um, my fiance, Becky, her mother has um, hypertension. She also has a white doctor and this particular white doctor prescribed her a medication that majority i want to say like 90 percent of black people have negative reactions to this medication and of course her mother had that and it's like had you gone to a doctor that understood you understood your people your culture 
that probably wouldn't have happened. Yeah, that's true. But it's also important for all communities, especially minorities and marginalized communities to understand that at the end of the day, the doctor is working for you. You Mm -hmm. are the customer. You should only seek care from somebody that's going to provide you with the care that you need and want. Absolutely. You know, these doctors, at the end of the day, these doctors are just licensed to practice medicine. So if there's a problem, what they're going to do is going to, they're going to go back. They're going to write down your symptoms. They're going to go back to a room in the back and they're going to search the database to find what pill to give you to combat that issue. And then when you come back two months later and saying that that pill caused you problems, then they're going to give you another pill to combat that problem instead of oftentimes getting to the root of the true problem. I've been through that my damn self and that is not fun. Yeah, not at all. Um, But back to the discussion at hand, after all of the discrimination and trauma that the LGBT community faces, um, on the website it states that an estimated 20 to 30 percent of LGBT individuals abuse substances Mm -hmm. compared to 9% of the general population. So I I have personally seen a lot of substance abuse in the LGBT community, um, especially coming down here to Georgia where it's more accessible. I mean, you could literally, like when I go to the bathroom in the club, it's people selling everything, like, um, like Molly, crack, coke, all type of pills, different different weeds, like it's every any and everything is is accessible down here. And oh, there's one thing that's big down here is Tina, which is the street name for crystal meth. And I've never heard of somebody using that until moving down here. I was, I don't know, maybe I was ignorant or maybe it just wasn't the thing to do. Um you know, where I'm from. But nonetheless, it's it's crazy how I see people transform over the years. Some drugs, you don't really, like people that smoke weed, you don't really see a difference. But mm-hmm. when people start getting into meth and people start getting into uh, coke, that's a whole nother ball game. And a lot of people use the drug because they it helps them cope you know, they, they, they just have gone through so much and they have so much sadness and depression. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's like a cycle. It's like you, you have to fight all your life. Then you, that leads you to depression and anxiety because everywhere you go, you feel like somebody's going to check you or somebody's going to try you because that's all you're used to growing up. Right. Right. So, so then you start, so then you start substance abuse whether that be alcohol or, you know, any of the other variant substances that I talked about. And then because that substance is fucking with your brain, then that starts to cause suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the problem, too, with, with drugs in general is a lot of the suicidal thoughts that it either long term use or if you you've been using whatever the drug may be for a while and you try to stop and, you know, you can't pump your body full of what meth, methamphetamines or whatever, mm-hmm. and then just stop cold turkey because, yeah, that withdrawal, that shit will fuck with your brain and make you want to commit suicide. 
a lot of uh, antidepressants too are the same way. It's like they put you on them. You got to take them every day. And one day you wake up, you, you're like, yo, I don't want to take this medicine anymore. You can't just stop that shit cold turkey because one of the side effects are suicidal ideation or whatever. And we lose a lot of people every year to that. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, we're talking about um, the a lot of, especially in the black community, the, I would say probably the black community is worse to people in the LGBT community than our white counterparts. I know that's up for debate, but I mean, I just I'm just calling it what I how I see it. But the LGBT youth, they suffer years of bullying, right? Mm-hmm. Years of bullying. You have a family that doesn't accept you. And it's hard to get a job because you've been discriminated against, right? Right. So the bullying leads you to have lower grades. Mm-hmm. You're not even you're not even able to learn how you how you should be able to learn. Mm-hmm. You can't make the money that you want to make. So that's gonna cause a person to feel like I don't want to live anymore. Yeah. I have nothing to live for. Nobody loves me. And everywhere I go, I have to I'm I'm dealing with conflict everywhere I go. Right. Right. And speaking to the bullying, too, that that shit can lead to PTSD. Um, exactly. And that that's that's serious right there. So let me let me ask you this. Have you ever experienced or have you anybody, you know, experienced these types of traumas, the bullying, the suicidal ideation, um, feeling unaccepted, et cetera? Yeah, I um, I actually was bullied from second grade all the way to 12th grade. So it was it was bad, you know, being from the DMV. Right. (laughs) I don't know how other cities get down, but all I know is that in the DMV, whoo, man, I'm talking years of physical and verbal abuse. That trauma was a lot to deal with. Right. I can believe it. Through that. I I'm, sometimes when I look back, I really be thinking to myself, like, how did I not have suicidal thoughts? Right. Because I see, I understand, like, when kids are eight years old killing themselves, I understand. It, it's, it's, and I, I try to break it down to people that are, that are ignorant to it. I try to break it down to them like this. Imagine being a Black person in 1910 going to an all-white school. Yeah. You know, like right, you know, right either before segregation or right when they started segregation, those individuals had to suffer a lot. You know, we've seen the infamous picture of the girl going into the school and they were throwing rocks at her, spitting at her. Yeah. A lot of that happens to the LGBT youth. Right, right. Um, but for me, it w- it was so crazy because I didn't realize how bad it was until I got out of that environment and I went to college. And I started to be around people that, you know, a little more educated and have more, have goals in life as far as further education and career goals and stuff like that. They're more focused on that. And and on top of that, I went to a white school, so they really don't care about what you're wearing, you know, so that you're not met with conflict as much. You're barely met with bullying. So, but I still had a years, over a decade of unpacked trauma. So I often found myself blowing up on people, I often found myself in arguments, I often found myself telling somebody I will beat your ass, bitch. <laughs> Man, 
and, and until you know somebody really had to sit me down and like you know get me together and then i then i realized whoa you're right like i don't have to be angry all the time so um definitely going through my self-care took years of unpacking and working through realizing that I don't always have to be have a conflict-oriented life, cutting people off and going through therapy. But through all of that, it, it helped me to work through that trauma and not be angry all the time. But it took, even after that, it took, it took years after that as well, because in the Black community, we often want, we are so tied to the Bible, which is uh, an episode for another day but at the end of the day it is a book of fairy tales there is no white jesus that's coming back to save our black asses i'm sorry it's not so in the black community it's like i'm going through this trauma i'm angry all the time i have ptsd and i'm being told to pray about it which let's be real is such an ignorant response to tell somebody that's having an issue right you know it, I like when somebody says that it actually angers me when somebody says, just pray about it as if that's going to work it out. Like, you know, people be dead ass broke. They about to get evicted. Lights about to get cut off. They don't have no job. And they say, go ahead and pray about it. Just pray as on if, it. <laughs> as, as if $2,000 is going to pop up in your bank account magically for you to pay these past due bills. That's not how it works. <laughs> And I think that the the church is lacking in that and they're not helping these people get the resources that they need to elevate and live their best life. Yeah, I I agree 100 percent. I am. uh, I want to choose my words carefully. Um, I have a lot of issues with the black church in in specific. I mean, I grew up in Baptist Episcopalian churches and I can tell you that. Each one that I went to, I got nothing from other than a bad taste in my mouth. And it's like they use the Bible, especially in our in our community to control us. And speaking on the LGBT, I mean, we were taught growing up in the church that being gay was bad. That's a sin. That's this. Right. And it's like, who the fuck are you to judge? Like, that's well, that's between whatever person and their God, who the fuck are you to judge? And but honestly, if th- they're, they're doing right and they're doing their job because the Bible is supposed to be the rule book for Christianity. And if it's wrong in the Bible, then it's wrong. Just like eating shellfish is wrong. Just like uh, women on their period cooking is wrong. You know, there's, you hold know, on, wait, wait, back up. Yes, women when, on their period cooking. When, when we were children, adults didn't tell us this, but women, on their period are dirty and they are (laughs) unclean according to the Bible. There was a woman that was on her period in the Bible and they didn't want her to touch Jesus. She had a, she had a heavy flow. She was bleeding for, she would bleed for like two weeks straight. Right. (laughs) And everybody thought that she had a demon in her when whole time. No, her, you know, her, her ovaries was just, you know, out of whack. Right. Right. And they didn't want her to touch Jesus. And then she touched his cloth as she was healed. Like that's that's the story. <laughs> this is the shit. That, like, yeah, she need to like, touch a uh, like, box I'm of sorry, tampons. But it's, it's funny to look back at now. But but yes, if you if you think about it, that that is a part of their rule book, and that and that's another reason. That's another place where black people, where LGBT people don't feel safe. Right. And it, and, and it also is the catalyst to propelling the hate 
in our community because they're taught there. It's so crazy. If the church, if, if this so-called Jesus with this long blonde hair, like this Jesus that was white was all about love and healing people. Then why are you teaching people in church to hate gay people? Absolutely. And then at the end of the day, you out here having sex with little boys. <laughs> just, just looking at it from, from my point of view, we grew up, uh, and P and I, we both grew up same area, DC area. DC is actually, we just learned this, uh, yesterday and doing some research. Uh, DC followed by Virginia are the first and second worst places, state and city for the LGBT community. Right now, DC has a law. It's called LGBT panic, which means you can attack an LGBT person and claim that um, I don't want to misquote. It's uh, used to justify a violent crime by claiming it occurred because the victim's sexual orientation or gender identity alarmed you. Wow. I've never heard of no shit like that. I did not know that. Yeah, it's nuts. And there's like this whole article on it and they have legislation right now. They're trying to pass to overturn that shit, but it's stalled right now. So it's like, why why the hell would you stall something like that? You're basically giving people the green light to attack LGBT people and then just say, I panicked. Like, yeah. what the fuck, man? That, that's yeah. And Virginia has that. Um, They still have the what are they called? The. Shit, I don't want to call it a concentration camp, but it's like camps you send kids to who are conversion camps. Yes, yes, which don't work. By the of, way, of course they don't because you are who you are. You know, right? But yeah, Virginia they they don't have any laws against that. That shit should be illegal. That's like torturing somebody. Yeah. Um. In addition to everything that we got to deal with on a regular. We also, like you just mentioned, have laws that are working against us. In North Carolina, your your employer can actually fire you if they find out that you're gay. And it's not a problem. That's, that's fucking... The law will protect employers that um, fire their employees for uh, their sexual orientation. You know what? I want to try. I want to open up a corporation in North Carolina and hire a bunch of people and then to fire all the straight people. <laughs> they straight and see how the fuck that go, go down. <laughs> I, you know what? I'd be with, look, hire me and fire my ass too. Shit. I'd be part of the experiment so just to see. Unemployment. <laughs> right. Get my $200 a week. <laughs> right. Right. So, um, Check this out, right? I, this is something I kind of mentioned it to you in text um, a while back, but I know somebody who who is gay, right? But mm-hmm. she continues. Now, she's like 30. How old am I? Okay, she's two years. So she's 38, right? And her entire life, she has spent trying to convince people that she's not gay. Now, she'll when when it's showtime, she'll look the part. I mean, I'm talking about dresses the most feminine of feminine clothes bringing guys home uh for the holidays christmas thanksgiving this is my boyfriend this is my boyfriend she's been doing this shit her her entire life i can't even imagine and i asked her once i'm like why why do you do that because my family would hate me or probably even disown me if i were to tell them what my sexual orientation is so that that made me think of two things one, 
I I never once had a conversation with my parents, either one of them. Well, I don't know where the fuck my father's at, but I never had a conversation with my mother about my sexual orientation. Like, why does that even need to be a thing between a a child and their parents? I don't get that. It's a thing because we're brainwashed. Like, literally, people fail to realize the Bible is the ultimate, the ultimate white supremacy. Literally, Europeans are forcing their views upon our people. And because we're brainwashed to think that we have to live a certain way, we will outcast people that do not fall in line with the status quo. So that is why straight people don't have to come out to their parents because it's normalized. It's accepted. There's nothing wrong with it. But until the world realizes that there's nothing wrong with being LGBT, we're not going to, we're not going to move forward. Right. You know, there's like, it's just what you're attracted to. That's like, that it's kind of like vegans who like hate meat eaters, you know? (laughs) Right. Like they literally don't want to even be in the same room with people that eat chicken. Like I don't eat meat, but I don't care if you eat meat. (laughs) Right. You get what I'm saying? Exactly. If you, if you really break it down like that, when it comes to eating meat, it it's the same situation. Absolutely. I don't care what you put in your mouth because what you put in your mouth don't affect me. Right. Right. I I totally I get that and that's one of the first things I had to unlearn and like I said growing up in the 90s there there's some shit that I look back now and say and this is something that uh Paul and I are going to talk about too is our upbringing is there's some shit that I I look back and say yo that was not okay. Like yeah. we used to drop the F word, like, and I hate saying F word, N word, this word, that word, but for the, for the sake of not yeah. offending anybody, the F word, like we used to drop that shit left and right in the early mid nineties. And mm-hmm. it was just like saying nigga or, you know, anything else. So yeah. one of the things that we realized is when we got older well, once someone said that word is offensive, do you know how easy it was not to say the word? So that's why I don't give people white people a pass who say nigga, because right. it's very easy. But another thing I learned, too, is we never once used it as in our minds, at least to offend anybody. And we never even used it towards someone that was a, a LGBT person. We would just say that, drop that shit in the neighborhood like it was nothing. Mm-hmm. So that- honestly, sometimes when I hear it, I don't get offended because when you're I, like, sometimes when rappers say it, they they don't mean they don't mean it in a way that they that they mean gay person. Like, right, right. They actually, mean just bitch ass nigga. Like some people, right. just, <laughs> some people are just bitches, and that and it, it just is what it is, and it's not tied to your sexual orientation. Or your masculinity, like some people are just freaking losers. Like it's a lot of guys out here that depend on women driving their car while they at work, you know, using all the all their money to spend on the side chick. It's crazy. Like mm-hmm. and when, you know, so I, I get I, I get that part. Yeah. But that's I, I just had to I mean, regardless, I never meant anything by it, but just to know that it offends a group of people, I'm yeah. like it's not even worth saying. So fuck not it. at all. I can come yeah. up just like you said. 
I can replace it with bitch ass nigga. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. But that's some shit that we were programmed as. I mean, I'm talking 90s. We were kids like that shit was OK. And we had to learn that from some somewhere. It's not like, you know, we just walk around like, OK, we're going to say this word, that word, this. It's like that shit through throughout our culture. I mean, there's, there's so much toxic shit that we've learned yeah, as children. Yeah, there's a lot of toxicity that is normalized um, in in the world. Period. But the beauty, well, I would say the the most important part of adulthood is unlearning everything that you've been that you've been taught as a as a child and creating your own moral compass. Right. Um, but there, like your friend, there there are certain reasons why people don't come out the closet. Uh, one of them, like you said, they don't have a family that accepts them. Mm-hmm. But my thing is, if your family doesn't accept you, sweetie, because you like to eat coochie, then that's not the family for you. <laughs> right. Because at the end of the day, your family is not accepting of you. Your family is accepting of this character that you have created. Mm-hmm. Your family is accepting of this persona that you pretend to be. But sweetie, your family does not love you. Your family loves this actress that you're being. That that is what your that is who and what your family loves. And for me, I had to I had to really think long and hard. And I said, you know, I I just can just went back and forth with if I was going to come out to my family or not. But at the end of the day, I'm a bad bitch. You have no you have no seriously. Not to toot my own horn too, too, but you really don't have a choice but to accept me. I'm the best child that I'm I'm the fucking child that parents dream of. I'm respectful. When I come home, I cook, I clean. Um I'm, I got my education. I have a good job. I take, you know, I take care of myself. You're not I'm not dependent on you through adulthood. What what more could a parent ask for? <laughs> right. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, if I just I just got to a point in my life where I said, this is what it is. And it makes no sense for me to pretend to be something else. Right. Um, And you either accept me or you don't, because at the end of the day, everybody is temporary. At the end of the day, everybody is going to die at some point. Mm -hmm. So and I don't know when my last day is going to be. So why would I why would I? do that to myself? Why would I put myself through that distress of having to stay in the closet when, and not accept myself and not truly love myself? Absolutely. You know, so that, 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 that's that. But the, you know, another reason is because sometimes it's job security. Like I said earlier with Mm -hmm. um, states like North Carolina, which is so beyond me because I mean, North Carolina, never mind. We're not going to go there. <laughs> I got a lot of listeners in North Carolina, but they know how I feel about North Carolina. And I'm pretty sure my listeners that live in North Carolina feel the same way about North Carolina. Shit, I um, feel the same way about North Carolina. <laughs> but off, uh, also, there's safety reasons. Right. Sometimes you don't feel safe with every environment that you're in, um, whether that could be, you know, whether you're afraid of physical abuse or verbal or mental. And sometimes you're in a situation where you literally can't, like you're literally dependent on this person because maybe you only make $8 an hour. So if this person kicks you out, you will be homeless. Yeah. That, and that is another big thing. Right. Right. The, um, one thing I wanted to say is as far as the physical, uh, violence, 
Man, I learned early on and I can tell you, I think it was in 1995. We had this dude uh, went to school in uh, T.C. Williams. His name was Day Day and Day Day was gay and people would try Day Day and I would sit back and watch because I knew Day Day from the projects and Day Day had them hands. Yeah, that at the end of the day, he is still a man and he will he would fuck niggas up. It got to the point where nobody bothered him. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, that, that still speaks to something that. You you have the audacity to want to attack this man for who he is, you know? Yeah, being out of the closet, you gotta, you kind of have to, uh, you have to be defensive. I will say because you just never know when somebody's going to try you. Just like black women, black women can't have to be careful when they go out to the store by themselves. They never know some crazy man might try to kidnap them. Like this shit is crazy how unsafe the world is. But yeah, uh, you 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 really and and it kind of. It kind of affects you mentally because if you're always on guard, then that leads to anxiety. That right. leads to what we talked about earlier. Um, but yeah, like people knew not to try me in college. They would talk shit, but it wouldn't be when I was around. <laughs> it wouldn't fucking be. And when I walked in the room, I bet you bitches get silent. Everybody, everybody get quiet if they was talking about me. And Man. that was just, it was just baffling to me. <laughs> that, that's because you from the streets. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. You know, you know. Um, But one of the other important things I wanted to say about people not coming out is that sometimes they haven't accepted it themselves. There is a, there is a, um, I talked about this like two years ago on my show, but there is, there is a theory because, you know, everything is pretty much a theory, but there are steps that gay people have to go through. to before they accept their own sexuality hmm. it's, it's like a it's yeah I forget, it's like a seven um it's like a seven step process right and some people are still on like step three you know they haven't really accepted it themselves right and sometimes you can you can literally lie for so long that you start to believe it gotcha gotcha so they so, haven't accepted it. They're lying to themselves, saying that this this is not who I am. That's interesting. I'm gonna have to look yeah. that up. No, seriously. Like I know I I've come across men that are they are definitely attracted to other men, but they have a wife, they have children, but they still mess with the men. But in their mind, they're they're strictly heterosexual. Hmm. How's that possible? Wouldn't that make you bisexual at 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 a minimum? It is. It is, but you if you like I said, if you if you believe if you literally believe in your heart that you are straight and you tell yourself this for years and years and years, then you're going to believe it. Right, right. Damn. But oftentimes when guys um the thing about sexuality, this is this is how my doctor broke it down because I was just like, yo, doc, like I'm just not having sex at all. Like I just, I just, I just, I just don't like I I you know how people they will have sex with like seven people a week and they don't feel no emotional connection to people. Mm-hmm. I'm not built like that where I can have now I'm not saying that I have soul tied to everybody that I've had sex with, but I I'm not built like 
I just I'm just not the type of person where I'm not I don't love one night stands. Right, right. Like I just kind of think to to me morally, I just I don't first of all it's not safe. <laughs> first and foremost but mm-hmm. i just i just think that if i connected with somebody and we took that that we you know went that route and we both enjoyed it then a lot of people would literally you know on to the next one delete the number never hit the person up again right right because because they use sex for like escapism but i'm not i don't i don't want to be that type of person so when i told him that he said he didn't recommend doing that it's because it's like imagine having a um a a group of marshmallows in the palm of your hand, right? And the longer and longer you withhold from sex, that is the equivalent of you closing your hand, right? And what's and what's going to start happening? The marshmallows are going to start to fall, start to squeeze out of the openings of your fingers, right? right? So, and and that that's just that's just not healthy. I can I can Definitely say not having sex is you not know, healthy. It's, it's not. It's definitely not. Because you over here, you know, you backed up. Yeah, yeah. Like some people, like some some women and men, I call it a vitamin D deficiency. <laughs> when you go so many days without dick, you you can't think straight. You mad at the world. You mad at everything. And don't somebody know why. Can say, yeah, somebody can say good morning and you like, no, it's not a good morning. <laughs> like, whoa. Man. <laughs> I will order you some vitamin D off of Amazon. And it will be at your house in two days. <laughs> two you days got shipping. That, you got that deficiency. Seriously. <laughs> Man, one of the things, too, with uh, was sex and promis- promiscuous shit. Promiscuity. God damn it. Okay. Being promiscuous. <laughs> right, right. A lot of people, um, well, not a lot of people, but I know there are people who view themselves as being worthless, being um, not being alone not good enough for anybody so they go out there and they basically dog their bodies out because it's it's almost like self-harm yeah it's a form of it is a form of self-harm which is a form of is what a lot of people do to cope with their their inner demons and inner issues right right so, I mean, you mix that with, you know, like we've been talking about the substance abuse. Um, I can speak to maybe not substance abuse, but using substances and ending up in some weird ass sexual shit. And it's shit that if sober, you probably wouldn't have done. Like back in my drinking days, I would sometimes wake up and be like, where the fuck am I? Who the fuck is this? But oh wow! Yeah. I've never I've seen that in TV, but that's never happened to me before. <laughs> it's it's kind of scary, and like the one particular time I was in Pennsylvania visiting one of my aunts in one of these small country towns. This is actually where I met. And Becky. you woke up next to your aunt? Oh fuck no! <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, whoa. We listen. We don't need to say that on the podcast, man. That's something we can talk about later. That's the shit. I need to talk to my therapist about. That. Right, right. But that was gonna be the next step. (laughs) Yeah, no, I just ended up at some random broad's house that um we were out drinking at a bar and I I don't even remember how I got there. Don't and what's crazy is since I was visiting an auntie that I didn't know the area. So I'm like, I don't even know where I'm at. I'm calling my cousins to come pick me up. I'm like, I don't know how to tell you how to get here. And this was before like, you know, smartphones and whatever. 
So that right there, that day, and then a couple other things told me, yo, you need to stop drinking, bro, for real. And I ain't had a drink in like, what, 16 years now? Really? Yes, sir. Have oh, well, yeah, I've heard the, you know, the episode, the mini episode where you talked about starting it early. So yeah, I didn't right. start until I was like 18. So man, and speaking of being 18, well, actually, let I want to take a step back to to going to talking about coming sure, out. Sure. <laughs> you um decided to live your truth, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. uh, how was that? received um because i did read some of the social Mm, media posts mm, mm, mm. trigger alert trigger alert to whoever's listening right now what i'm about to say is not pretty so um yeah it was not met well um i mean my mom didn't really care much you know it was what it was but um that was just step one step two was coming out to my father a few weeks later luckily for me i had already moved out because i'd be damned if i'm living on the fucking streets (laughs) okay i hear that (laughs) so i had to make sure that i was good that i had a roof over my head worst case scenario but um let me say this first my dad is a hood nigga like from the hood of dc okay like dropped out of school was running the streets back in the day um, you know, uh, he eventually got his life together, but I mean, years of drug abuse cannot be reversed mm-hmm. as far as your brain is concerned. So there were, and on top of that, he was in the military. So while he was on active duty, there were a lot of, there was a lot of physical abuse that we, uh, you know, incurred and, um, he was a victim of alcoholism as well. Gotcha. So. Every pretty much, well, not, I won't say everybody, but a lot of his family has fall victim of substance abuse in some shape or form. Most of them are in and out of jail. We only hear from them once every three years, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to preface that before I say what happened. So, yeah, I, um, you know, told him this is what it was. You know, I, I just said, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not attracted to women. It, they just <clears throat> don't do it for me. I'm past the puberty stage. I feel like if it would have happened, <laughs> it would have happened by now. But right. um, here I was at 18 and I, women don't arouse me. So this is what, this is how I know that I am gay. All right. And it just is what it is. Sorry. And, um, you know, he dropped a bunch of F-bombs and started to ask, you know, ignorant questions. And, of course, started to make himself a drink while doing so. Um, And his drink of choice was uh, bottom of the barrel, motherfucking um, Christian Brothers. Uh. <laughs> Christian Brothers. He used to drink that like it was Duce, like it was top notch. He used to be so pressed to drink that. Like, and when I'm now that I'm in adulthood and I go to the liquor store and I see where it's located and how it's priced, I'm just like, now it all makes sense as to why I went through what I went through as a child. Like that Christian Brothers demon, I can only imagine. But um, <clears throat> it didn't get physical that day. But it did. Um, there was an there was an altercation later on. Um, at the time, I was in college, so I would come home and visit because I was only like an hour away. 
So I would come home and visit maybe like once a month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, mothers, it's hard for them to be away from their child that they've been raising for 17 years. And I get it. So um, I had to appease her, you know. Right. I don't want her to be over here crying all the time. But nonetheless, um, there was another time when I went home and I actually had a knife pulled out on me. And, you know, I at that point I was over it. I said, I'm not I'm not dealing with this. This is this is this is way beyond ghetto for me. Like having right. a knife pulled out on me like that shit. I don't. I'm not dealing with that shit, especially from a family member. And then there were harassing phone calls. And I said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm in a, I was in a much better place in my life. Mm -hmm. That's at the point where I was trying to deconstruct the conflict oriented life that I was living. And I didn't want to go back to that. So we did not speak for maybe a year. Wow. Yeah. It was a long time that we did not speak. Let me ask you this real quick. Uh, mm-hmm. The so what I guess what was his goal as far as the the physical or even pulling a like what was that supposed to do? What was that supposed to accomplish or do you think he even knows? Um well honestly I think that it his actions were fueled by anger and confusion. Mm-hmm. Um I think that when you go into the military the military will uh changes people into robots pretty much you're not mm-hmm. a human being anymore so if you're if your brain is programmed that way then you this is how you handle conflict right right so i think that because of the limited mental resources that he had that that was that was his way of coping with the situation gotcha. now that was maybe 10 years, almost 10 years ago. Since then, we've been able to pretty much start over, you know, because there, um, I was, it, it, it takes both parties to really make it work. Um, and for me, I had to lay everything out on the table. Like one day I was home. I don't know. I don't know what my mom said, but I went off on everybody. <laughs> By the time I was done, you couldn't hear anything in that house. <laughs> like everybody was dead ass silent. Right, right. And then after that, I felt so light. I felt, I felt, I felt good to get it off my chest. Like how I felt about everything throughout the years, and um, and I think that also financially, my family's in a better place. And a lot of people fail to realize, but your mental health really a lot of how you you feel mentally is tied to your financial situation. I know they say money can't buy happiness, but shit, I ain't never been sad with thousands of dollars in my bank account. You know what I'm saying? But shit, if I have less than, if I get a notification from Chase that I fall below 50, <laughs> shit, I, it's, I start itching. Like I start, I start having an allergic reaction. Like being broke is not healthy. No, it's not. No, and it's not. You know, he's he's a father of three and my middle my middle brother has autism, like severe autism. Mm -hmm. So you can only imagine what it's like being a father trying to provide for a family of five. And, you know, the military don't really don't really give a fuck about you. Right. No. Yeah. They don't they don't really care about you that much. Um, 
so, you know, limited financial resources, I think, also uh, affected how he uh, interacted with us. But, yeah, now we're in a much better place. Now he's like him. He's like my son and my mom is like my daughter and my little brothers are also my children. I have to I have to just help everybody get their life together. Right. And, Constantly teaching. And yeah. Yeah. So, and and everybody's in a better place where they're able to receive my messages. So it's great. Yeah, that's um, you have to be receptive. Yeah, but not everybody has that. Not everybody has a family that is going to be accepting of them. And that that's hard for some people. Like I, I was I was at a place where I said, if you don't accept me, it is what it is. But not everybody can say that. A lot of people are so dependent on their parents and so attached to their parents that they can't imagine life without them. Mm hmm. And if you're if your parents are in the church, <laughs> that, that, yeah, ten times worse. <laughs> good luck because <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. That's that's all I'm gonna say. So let me. Uh, uh, one of the things too that I notice about you, um, just probably from the very first day that I've listened to the Unapologetic podcast until now, um, you you are always, I don't, I'll, upbeat. I'd say upbeat, uh, energetic, at least that's, that's what comes off to me. Energetic, upbeat, uh, happy, so to speak. I mean, I'm sure everyone has stuff they're dealing with, but for the most part, how with, with a background like that, how, how did you get to where you are today? Wow. That is an excellent question. And that is a, um, that's a great observation as well, because it's true. I am genuinely happy. Like, I am so blessed. Like, I'm trying to control it right now, but life is just good. Like, I really don't have shit to complain about. And I think it's because it's a few different reasons. I, um, there's like a triangle that in my mind, I feel like every, you know, how people throw up the hole. Right, <laughs> it's kind right. Of like, you know, in my mind, I feel like there's a triangle at one point of the triangle is um, financial health. One point of the triangle is physical health. And the other part of the triangle, the other point of the triangle is, um, what did I say? Financial and physical and mental. Mental. Uh -huh. Yeah, so there's, there's three ends of the triangle. And in the center of the triangle is love. Okay. And I feel like when you find equilibrium between all three points of the triangle and you are surrounded by love, then I don't see how you can't be happy. Right. For me, being financially healthy and being able to help others become financially healthy, it bring it, it, it genuinely doesn't make me happy. It brings joy to me. Word. Okay. Gotcha. Um, when I look in the mirror, I love what I see. When I take my clothes off and I'm about to hop in the shower, I'm like, damn. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> cornbread fed, you know, like I love what I see in the mirror. Right, right. And then on top of that, going to therapy and and accepting the fact that I have ADD and that I got to take Adderall for me to study and shit. Mm -hmm. Hey, it is what it is. I accept it. I can't help it. We got a bunch of mental issues in my family. So I'm, I was bound to come with something, you know? Right, right. So, and on top of that, the love that I get from, I have two families. I have my family that I was born into, you know, my mom, my dad, my brothers. Mm -hmm. And then I have my 
close, my best friends. Mm-hmm. And those people love and accept me. And they're there for me when I have my shortcomings. And they're there for me to celebrate when I have my good moments, you know, when I reach accomplishments. And having that, it being in that equilibrium, it just, it, I'm just joyful. So that, that, I hope that answers your question. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of people don't have, a lot of people are searching for love. If you notice, a lot of times I'll get on Twitter and I'll be like, yo, like, it's people on here that are posting pictures in their underwear and they're getting all these likes, but they're not happy. Nah. I see it all the they they get on Twitter and they they they'll be an instant thought on Twitter, but then they get on Facebook and they and then they'll post a long status that says, Don't let things fool you. Um, I may have all these followers and all these likes, but I'm not happy. <laughs> and it's because you're not getting love. Yeah. I saw and, something, a, a study, actually, that a lot of these social media influencers, they are like some miserable motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. And I I mean, I guess I would be, too, if I was seeking validation through through social media apps or the Internet or whatnot. But, yeah, I can totally I can totally see that. And let me and another go. Uh, sorry, before we move on, I just wanted to say one more thing that I noticed with a lot of people is that the way that they are in general, a lot of people's personality can be tied to their relationship with their parents. Right. What do I mean by that? Okay, so how often do we see a young lady who was raised in a single-parent household and didn't have any father figures, and then every time every time you get on Facebook, they got a new boyfriend? Because mm-hmm. they're seeking love from that male figure. Yep. How many times have we seen guys who grow up in a single mother situation and they witness their mother be abused, abused by men and then they go and do the same thing? I know a few you know? of those. Yeah. Yeah. So so a lot of a, a lot of people I, I'm just I'm just blessed to to have that relationship with both of my parents and for it to be healthy at this point, because I I noticed that in general, when I'm good with them life is better. Absolutely. And I think the same could be said. I mean, if someone out here is listening, doesn't have a family, so to speak, just the people around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have to create your own family. Absolutely. So I guess, um, let me just kind of run down. I mean, we, we kind of touched on the mental health, uh, issues, the depression, anxiety, PTSD, um, the fear of coming out and then the physical verbal assaults, um, especially for the younger members, um, or the, the younger children, I mean, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old, like, like Jaden said, committing suicide at that age. Um, is there anything else you can think of or anything, any advice you would want to offer to someone who may be struggling with, um, with either their sexual identity or being fearful, such as my friend who's damn near 40 years old, still scared to um, tell their family members that, look, this is my sexual preference and this is my partner. It is what it is. Yeah. I would say that if you are maybe 25 and up and you are still in the closet, um, I don't want people to feel like, I'm, I'm shaming them, but I want you to know that you deserve love. A lot of people 
feel in the LGBT community feel like they don't deserve love and they they they're unable to receive love if they live their true life and that's just not true. You you deserve love just like every other human being and you will receive love. And I would recommend that honestly I say it on the show all the time everybody should go to therapy. Mm-hmm. And it's because we all deal with conflict and this is just one conflict that you might not see physically or hear like an argument, but it's going on in your brain. You're conflicted with the decision to live in your truth or to not live in your truth. And I think that it's important for people before they come out to, if they've been in the closet for a long time, to dig deep and figure out the reason as to why you have been so hesitant to do so for so long. It's important to touch on that and figure that out before you come out. And if you're if you're looking for resources, a lot of times if you're in college, I know for a fact a lot of colleges are very progressive and they have resources for the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. Um they have they have gay straight alliances, they have mentorship programs, they have social clubs and usually if you're in college, they have a they have a mental health facility where you can get free counseling. You know, somebody to talk to about what you've gone through. I think it's important for people to, especially if you've gone through trauma, I think it's important to talk to somebody, a professional that has studied the brain for years and years. I think it's important to speak to somebody about unpacking that trauma mm-hmm. and moving forward and creating creating what in your mind is your best life. Um, in addition to that, there are many different resources in, in different cities. So I think it's important for people to look, look at just Google. I mean, y'all can Google how to jailbreak a fire stick. <laughs> I'm going to need y'all <laughs> to Google what resources are in your city to um, appeal to your community. Right. Um, I actually have a couple of them as I was looking Uh and this is besides, I mean, you have all the national programs, the National Suicide Hotline, the mm-hmm. uh, National Institute of Mental Health and whatnot. But there's a it's called the Trevor Project, and it's a crisis intervention and suicide prevention that specifically it's a national program specifically for LGBT uh, young people ages 13 to 24, because that's that's where it appears that they struggle the most. Um, and there's also the advocate for youth LGBTQ. And uh, these these are all things I'm going to post the links in the show notes. They're national uh, programs, organizations. But as Jaden said, Google it because that's how I came across it. Yep. And in addition to that, not only um, is it important for the LGBT community to seek these resources, but it's also important for our allies to speak up. When you see something that's not right, when you hear something that's not right, it's your job to speak up. Just like you would speak up if somebody was talking about your mama, mm-hmm. it's it, it, especially if you have a platform, it's no excuse. It's, you, you, it's your duty to stick up and stand for what you believe in. And if you believe in equal rights for all humankind, then I expect you to act accordingly. Absolutely. And I would second that sentiment. 
So I think, um, honestly, I think this has been a productive conversation, at least for me, it has, because as I said at the top, I'm, I'm ignorant to a lot of these things. And in doing the research, I, I have learned that shit, the city I grew up in is like one of the worst places for LGBT, uh, people in general. Like I, I had no idea. And then the, the LGBT panic law, like the fuck is mm-hmm. that? So Yo, I'm actually going to continue to just do some more research because I feel weird asking. I do have quite a few friends, but I it's like I don't want to ask. I don't want to offend by asking about your lifestyle. You know what I mean? Well, listen, if that's your friend, then you shouldn't feel you shouldn't feel on edge and asking your friend because that's your friend. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. Like you, you should, you should feel so comfortable in your friendship that it's not a problem. You, I mean, and, and maybe it's your delivery that you're afraid of. Maybe that's instead it. of saying, and maybe instead of saying, are you gay? Just be like, listen, if it was me, this, this is how I would do it. I would say, listen, Dan, we've been friends for a long time. And, I just want you to know that I accept you and your sexuality. Okay, we don't got to talk about it, but I just want to let you know that I'm your friend and I'm going to love you regardless. That's actually dope because that that opens the door for communication if if that person wants to talk about it. That's exactly. actually dope. So, and then you can switch up the subject. <laughs> there you go. So I think, yeah, it's been really productive. I've, I've learned a lot just in the past few days and today. Um Mr. Hollywood, let the people know where they can follow you again. Yes, you can follow me on all social media at the Great Jaden. I'm sure it's going to be in the show notes. And um, yeah, interact with me. I'm not one of those people that uh, feels like I'm too good to interact with people on social media. I actually get a lot of people that hit me up after I do guest spots, and I like to keep the conversation going. So. I would love to keep this conversation going on whatever platform uh, people choose to do so. Absolutely. And don't forget to check out the unapologetic spelt with a K podcast mm-hmm. twice a month right now. But uh, me and Jay ain't going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so appreciate appreciate you All coming right. on, bro. All right. Thank you for having me. All right, man. Peace. So that was a conversation with Mr. Jaden Hollywood. He's uh, one of my favorite podcasters out here. Um, what what we're going to do is, I guess, what we normally do. And we're going to share a story with you guys. One of those strange but true stories. So this story goes in multiple directions. So I guess I'll take the first half and give P the second half. We were at a local talent show at um tc williams high school this would have had to have been in 1999 maybe 2000 and there was this african dude crazy g motherfucker motherfucker (laughs) and he swore up and down he was a rapper like big time so he drove around in this little honda civic like that shit was a damn bentley or something and he would hand his tapes out to people and and like I'm a I'm a rapper. I am a rapper. And then he shot like all these low budget um rap videos in different shopping center parking lots with his Honda Civic. Um at this particular talent show, he decided he was going to show his talent to the world or to the school. So 
he had started having there was like a, a guy that went to school with us named Justin. Hey man, is Justin still alive? I heard he died. I'm not sure, but I heard and I I thought it was pretty uh legitimate from who I heard from who I heard it from. I think he died. I, uh, I don't want to I think he did die like a like a year or two. Yeah, ago. I I think so too. I like I don't know where I heard that from, but yeah, I'm not I'm not sure if he if he passed or not, but if he did that's terrible to hear because you know, we're starting to get to that age where we're watching a lot of our peers just kind of, um, you know, pass away. And it's it's sad because we're young, but we're not that young, man. Yeah, we ain't young. If we were cavemen, we'd be dead already. <laughs> yeah, you ain't lying. Probably died from fucking syphilis or some shit, man. Or Shit, if we lived in Russia, we'd be dead already. I think their average lifespan is like 40. Damn. Man, I remember at one point the average lifespan was like 32, I think. That, that was like hundreds and hundreds of years ago. I don't know. You sure it wasn't like 1800 something? That motherfucker yeah, was yeah. dying quick back then. <laughs> motherfucker be a grandfather at 22. Like, damn, man. Be dead at 23. <laughs> yeah. But um, to get to get back to the story, this dude, Crazy G, right? He had this... um. He had to do the talent show. He wanted to share his talent with the world. He was a rapper, the best rapper alive. Crazy G motherfucker. And the guy, Justin, had just um did a, a dance. He I think he had like a, a did some choreography or something like that on the stage. And Crazy G was getting impatient with Justin and the dude playing Justin's music uh, that he was dancing to. So crazy G, imagine this. You got this um white dude just dancing around on the stage, doing like a dance routine, and then this African motherfucker with a microphone come busting through the back of the curtains. Yes, this is crazy G. Motherfucker, you get off the <laughs> stage because I am the best. I don't need a beat. I don't need a beat. I rap without a beat. Give me give me any beat, my Oh yeah, man, he did say that too. Is <laughs> you don't have my beat? Give me any beat, my nigga. I am crazy G. And then he just started making like the dude was like running back and forth on the stage, not making sense. He wasn't rhyming. I have no clue like what the fuck he was doing. I think he was on coke. But uh, he's having some kind of fit, man. <laughs> then he got like caught up in the damn curtains when he was trying to run out. <laughs> so the dude, Justin, just ended up getting off of the stage and was like, man, you know what? This, this weird African guy, he's he's uh, he's alarming. So turns out, um, I guess Crazy G didn't like the fact that a, a gay guy went on stage before him. Is Is that where the altercation came from? I don't know what Crazy G was thinking. Maybe his name was Crazy G because he's crazy. Man, he was a like, bitch. He was, it It seemed to be an irrational anger towards Justin, who signed up for the talent show, just like Crazy G did. And I'm going to tell you something. Crazy G didn't have no talent. You know, I mean, at least Justin was up there dancing. Justin was a cheerleader. You know, he was pretty good. Yeah. But like, apparently, Crazy G and his conservative, uh, sensibilities that he apparently possesses got the better of him that night. And, uh, you know, after he did his, had his little conniption fit on stage, running around like a madman, foaming at the mouth and, you know, clanking fake jewelry, you know, echoing, you know, like cling, cling, cling all over the place. He gets off the stage after he says a bunch of gibberish. We don't know 
Nobody knows what he said, okay? He don't even um, know what he said. I'm going to give you an example. Well, do you remember? Everybody remembers this. Now, if you are black and you don't know this, then you're not black for real. Uh, and uh, Mr. Randy Watson, when he put down the microphone, the sparse uh, clapping and the hushed tone of the audience kind of like, oh, what we just watch. That was what happened after Crazy G finished his, <laughs> you know, his public meltdown that he called a performance. So we laughed and laughed and laughed. And then we found out the next day, Crazy G got arrested because apparently he got in his civic, his little civic. Uh, I think he got in there with a couple of his little buddies. The, the and Sudan they robbed him. They went and found, yeah, the Sudan clan. <laughs> yeah, they went and robbed, they went and found him and robbed him. And he got in trouble for that. And I just remember thinking, and I saw I saw Kwame. I was cool with him. He joned on him, but whatever. And I think, I swear to God, I, maybe this is just revisionist history and I'm making this up. But I swear I asked him, what was he thinking? Did he not realize that they would know it was him? And he didn't really have an answer for that. <laughs> My nigga, I don't know. <laughs> like, man, what? <laughs> My nigga, don't you know that they think all of us niggas look the same? <laughs> <laughs> man, that dude, look, man, to to be a crazy-ass rapper, man, we sure used to steal his car a lot, man. That motherfucker. Well, I I, I think he's still a rapper. <laughs> oh, Jesus, man. Y'all stole his car. That's right, y'all. You said y'all stole his car? Yeah. Didn't you? Hold on. Okay. Didn't, uh, who was it? Didn't somebody have his car for like the weekend and then his mom had to come yeah. try to get it back for yeah, him? Yeah, that was us. <laughs> <laughs> man. I know, no, mommy. They have my car, mommy. I cannot get man, it back. Man, this man, man. All right. We was going to, um. this was like the the one time <laughs> that I went to the club that I was telling y'all about, DC Live. We needed a ride. Yeah, niggas took Kwame's car. <laughs> yeah, we told him, hey, man, come to the club with us, man. Come to the club with us. So we get all the way out to uh, DC Live, and then I start tripping. I'm like, man, I need to go, man. Fuck this place. Uh, And then a couple of the other dudes was like, man, fuck that nigga, man. Let's take his car. And that sounded like a good idea at the time. I don't know why. So I'm like, yeah, fuck that nigga, man. Let's take his motherfucking car, man. See, he want to go around robbing people. We take his car. So, I mean, it was it was a good idea because he was there <laughs> and y'all y'all was ready to leave. And he had a car. Yeah. And so you have to justify to yourself, why are we still in this nigga's car? So let's just make up a reason from a few months ago. Yeah, man, nigga want to rob somebody. Let's get him back. Let's rob <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, it had nothing to do with that. So um, my boy walked <laughs> up on him, shoved him. Mind you, we rode <laughs> we rode to the club with him. My boy walked up on him. Hold on. What is going on, my nigga? <laughs> shoved the shit out of his ass. He went like flying. Like, you know how you try to take two or three steps to catch your balance, but your legs go out to the side? <laughs> Young. <laughs> his shirt flew up that shit was they said hey man give me the car keys man what do you mean man give me the car keys i said what the fuck i meant what are you doing with my car we taking the motherfucker man we be back we come pick you up okay this shit was man it, it was funny as shit so sunday afternoon everyone's phone starts ringing hello this is crazy g's mother um it is my understanding that you have my son's car Hey, nah, this our car now. <laughs> <laughs> like she ain't buy it. <laughs> yeah. Man, so then he calls. He starts calling people because I guess they was trying to avoid calling the police because his dumb ass shouldn't have gave us the keys. But I guess he didn't have much of a choice. So um, 
He called and he said, yes, I need my car back because my mother keeps checking on me every second like a cookie baker. Your cookie baker. <laughs> <laughs> See, man, y'all, y'all better get a nigga's car back, man, before they call the police. So they made his mother catch a bus to come <laughs> to come pick the car up. <laughs> man, that, that's yeah, I mean, that's your gangsters, man. That's that's your gangsters, man. It's funny too, man. Like everyone's a damn gangster until it's time to be a gangster with other gangster niggas, man. man. And that was the thing about back when we grew up, right? Nowadays, these kids can just pretend to be gangsters on social media and nobody cares. Nobody pulls their card. When we grew up, like Mike Epps said on one of his stand-ups, I was, I was a thug until I realized you really had to do that shit. <laughs> yeah. When we grew up, whoever you were, you had to be ready for somebody to pull that card any moment and you had to renew it. I welcome the opportunity because I like to fight. People like, like Crazy G and White Boy Dave and the who's who of flunkies. Every year was a new flunky. Hey, sometimes, sometimes every every year was more, multiple flunkies. Man, and they would always get lured to Del Rey <laughs> down the hole somewhere, or or wherever they shouldn't be, and they end up getting their asses whooped and something taken from them. Yeah. And then they grow up, and then they become like managers at a store, or, or or highly successful because they realize you know hanging around a bunch of hood kids is not really the life that they want to lead. Yeah. We saved a lot of niggas lives, man. And I'd be the first to tell you, I was never a thug or a gangster or any of that shit, but I used to hang out with them motherfuckers, man. And in doing so, you see some shit, man. You really see some shit. Like the dude, uh, slapped the shit out that nigga on a moped while he was driving, man, man. (laughs) But that's a, that's a story for another day, man. So one that, yeah, I I beat that nigga ass man i fucked him up split that nigga's face open you get that nigga to omar little hell yeah young man i yo i stole that nigga so hard man his face literally split open like from under his eye to right beside his lip and blood shot out like both directions young uh when which mccallis cousin uh came in uh, came in the hallway to see what the hell was going on she's like man i thought somebody got shot there was blood all over both walls (laughs) i was like god damn man (laughs) <laughs> that joint, I and I, I mean, I, the, the, he ain't the type of motherfucker you want to let him swing first, man. I tell you that, that's a big motherfucker. But you know what though, he was big and we was boxers back then too. We knew that big boys is slow. Just don't let him grab you, and that's all. Yeah, man, fuck, fuck that nigga. I beat his ass again. Shit. <laughs> I don't think he a thug no more either. Nah, I think he's somebody else that decided not to be a thug no yeah, more. Yeah, man. Shit. Next, Joe. Next episode. We we got to roll with the uh, I ain't got no beef. <laughs> I ain't got no beef. It's so many people that used to pretend to be thugs, and now you see them as adults. And I'm like, huh? They really got in their life together. <laughs> Thugging wasn't for them, yeah, huh? man. You know they they even change the way they talk. They don't even talk like they're from the streets no more. They talk like like they work on the stock market or something. I'm like, damn, you got the you got the the, the thug slapped out of your ass, yeah, man. We're fifty cent, man. Uh, damn, homie! In high school, you was the man. Homie. What happened to you, man? So <laughs> I guess this uh wraps up another episode of a few screws loose the podcast. I hope that it was informative in some way, shape, or form. Remember, if you have any questions for either of us, uh, you can reach out on social media. I am Dan, and you can follow me or find me at Dan on Drugs on Twitter and IG. And I am P in Charlotte. You can catch me 
on Instagram and on Twitter at Screws Loose Pod. And again, you have to excuse my voice tonight. I'm in battling a little chest congestion and lost my voice a couple times. So uh, hopefully next week I'll be back to normal. Yeah, let's hope, man. Let's hope. And let's hope your fucking internet is. Oh, and um, also want to... Sadly, this internet is my normal. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> My internet is congested. Also, uh, we want to send a special shout out and thank you for Jaden Hollywood, uh, our pod brother, for coming on the show and sharing some of his experiences. And also, if you wanted to reach out to him and continue the conversation with him, uh, you can find him on Twitter at the great Jaden. And that's J-A-Y-D-E-N. So until next time, people. Peace out. Peace.